Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Welcome to our service today. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you, are, uh, you chose to join us. Those of you who are here, those of you who are online, thank you for joining us today. We are continuing in our series about uh, Jesus in the Bible, and we're looking into the Old Testament to see foreshadowings, looking forward, right? The things that we see in the Old Testament point uh, towards something. And it's not, um, I don't think, a coincidence that we, we had that word elevate last night uh, because what we see is that oftentimes what the Lord puts in place in the Old Testament is elevated and ultimately fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it's put there for that very purpose, to show that there's something greater, to show that there's someone greater. And so that's, even, even God puts, uh, elevates the Son He humbled himself even to the point of death, Philippians tells us, but God exalted him to the the right hand, right, Uh, to his rightful place. And so even Christ is elevated and exalted by the Father. There, um, throughout the Old Testament, as the story of the people of God unfolds, God is doing these things. God is working through families and God is working around them. He's working through a family, but he's also working around them. And what we see is, um, is that God, God is a God who loves to meet the needs of the people and needs in per- our needs in particular, not necessarily our wants. Because God knows that we are in need of communication with him or hearing from him. How many of you know that? We are in need of that, right? God provides what he calls prophets. Because we are in need of uh, right worship unto God, right relationship with God, God provides priests. And because we are in need of leadership and because we are in need of stability and because we are in need of security, God provides kings, right? And so what we're talking today uh, about is prophet priests, and kings. To be a prophet is to be one who communicates what God is speaking to people. Therefore, God meets the need of hearing from him. Now, if you look at how God initiated the the work of prophets in Deuteronomy 18, how he initiates this is he wants to speak to all of the people, and the people are afraid of him, so he then provides a prophet who would speak on his behalf to the people. So the people wanted, God wanted the people to hear from him. They could not stand it. So God provided a prophet who would be, in a sense, a mediator, one who relays a message from God to the people. God provides um, prophets as a means of communication. God also provides for relationship with people. God wants relationship with his people, and so he provides priests to help sustain relationship and to help facilitate the worship of God. 
How do they facilitate the worship of God? A priest um, offers prayers. A priest receives the offerings of the people and presents them to God. And a priest also presents the sacrifices that the people make before God. So the priests are important for right worship unto God. Priests sustain relationship with God. The king provides leadership, stability, and security for the people of God. The people of God are in need of direction. The people of God are in need of order, right? There's the stability. Uh, The people um, of God are in need of security. They need protection from what is coming to threaten their their kingdom, their, uh, their land, right? The king provides those things. And so in the Old Testament, we see three prominent offices that arise. We see the office of prophet, we see the office of priest, and we see the office of king. And I, when I say prophet, when I say priest, and when I say king, I'm sure you have people that come to mind. When you hear the word prophet, you might think of Elijah, you might think of Samuel, as, uh, is that what you said? Yeah, you might think of Samuel who is a prophet, a priest, and a judge, according to uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, right? He holds those, in a sense, these three offices at any given time in the life of Israel. And, um, and so, but do you think of Moses as a prophet? Oftentimes, we don't think of Moses as a prophet, but he is. He is a prophet of the Lord. He comes to bring the communication of God to the people. When you think of priests, you might think of Samuel comes to mind. Who else comes to mind? Testing your knowledge of priests. Thinking of Eli, right? Uh, Samuel's uh, mentor. Anybody else? Aaron, yes, you think of Aaron, the Aaronic order, right, that God set place in Exodus, right? You think of that, but do you think of a guy named Melchizedek? Right. So oftentimes, like, these, uh, these names uh, kind of just fall through the cracks a little bit. But uh, when you, and let me go with the king. When you think of king, everybody thinks of David. David rises to prominence Uh, in our minds as the king, and you have a whole slew of other kings, good and bad, that might come to mind, but David is that. And so what we see as the scripture unfolds is that the prophet, the priest, and the king are foreshadowings of Jesus. In fact, Jesus is connected with specific people that hold those offices. For example, in um, we, we see that Jesus is a prophet like Moses. We see that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. We see that Jesus is a king in the family or the family line of King David or in the Davidic line. And so what I want to do is to draw those connections with for you today of where, where it speaks of it in the Old Testament and where the connections are for us, okay? That's what we want to do today. So... Let's talk about being a prophet like Moses. Again, like I said before, when God wanted to speak to his people, he wanted to speak to his people. But the people couldn't stand it, so God gave them a prophet. In fact, 
The reason why God provides prophets is because he knows that his people are aware that there are such things as mediums, that there are such things as sorcerers, there are such things as psychics, there are such things as diviners, and as a people who are set apart for God, he says, those are not the people you should be listening to. Instead, what I'm giving to you is the prophet. The prophet who comes from me speaks my words, and you know that he's a prophet from me because his words will come to pass. You'll know. And so, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 5, this is what, what Moses writes. Moses is, is the primary prophet for Israel who, come, who relays the commands of the Lord, the desires of the Lord. In a sense, Moses is there to prepare the people for the promised land. They need preparation because they have all this baggage coming into that. And that's why God is saying, these are the standards that I have for you because when you enter the promised land, these are the things that, these are the reasons why I'm removing the people from this land because they have become detestable and the land is spitting them out. Like God is getting rid of them. So to put, to remove a people who are detestable and to put a people that are detestable is not a good idea. So God prepares his people to be uh, a, a people who know the commands of the Lord, know the laws of the Lord, know what proper worship looks like, know how to relate to one another properly and before the Lord. And so he is preparing them. Moses is put in that place to bring leadership, but also as a means by which uh, God, God will uh, prepare the people for the promised land. When Moses writes in Deuteronomy, what he's doing is writing to that generation of people who did not die in the wilderness. Remember, remember that those who came out of Egypt did not enter into the promised land. There were those who came out of Egypt who rebelled against God and God said, I'm going to cause you to wander around the wilderness until this certain generation dies off and then I'm going to start with the new generation in the promised land. So Deuteronomy is... The, very, the word Deuteronomy means second law. This means that Moses is giving the law for a second time to a new generation who is ready to enter into the promised land. Got it? With me? And so when he does that in Deuteronomy 15, Moses was given insight into the future when he said this. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. And then skip over to verse 18. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he, he shall speak to them all that I command. All that I command him. So how is Jesus a prophet like Moses? Well, before we... The, the New Testament connection, I would say, is in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Let's just skip over and read that. I know it's not in the right order back there, but I'm just going to do that. He says, um, this is Peter speaking to the people as they just witnessed the crippled beggar being healed. And they're wondering, like, who are you guys? What are you doing speaking and healing people in the name of Jesus? And this is what Peter says. 
He says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And then verse 26 says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter draws the connection between Jesus and the the prophetic word given in Deuteronomy 18 that there would be a prophet who would arise from his brothers that he would speak what God commands to his people. Jesus is a prophet like Moses. Now, what's interesting as you read the the Gospels, what you see is that Jesus never... um, never boast about this title of prophet. In fact, there's a lot of implications that he functions as a prophet. Many who who see him heal, uh, in particular, if you look at John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, she recognizes Jesus as a prophet. Why? Because he reveals the mysteries of her life. He tells her secrets to her, right? So we see Jesus... um, Jesus functioning as a prophet or people implying that he or attributing to Jesus the office of prophet. And for example, if you look at Matthew 16 verse 14, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? Or who who are people saying that I am? And they're like, some say you are the John the Baptist, some say you are Elijah, some say you are the prophet, right? So they're attributing the work of a prophet. Why? Because Jesus in his teaching, Jesus in his miracles is in a sense functioning like a prophet. If a prophet is given to the people to communicate the messages of God to a people, then Jesus would have to be doing that, right? Is that true? Yeah. And so that's why I love John 12, 49, because it's explicit. It shows that Jesus functioned as a prophet when Jesus himself said, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. I don't know if you recall Jesus being in Nazareth, and he is teaching He is teaching with authority in his hometown. And do they accept him? No, they don't accept him. In in fact, they reject him. And this is what Jesus summarized. He implies that he is a prophet when he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. So we see Moses in the Old Testament saying, there's going to come a brother who will rise from among you who will be a prophet like me. Listen to him. Listen to his commands. And what we see is that Jesus is that prophet who arises. And we know that he elevates, the, he, the word is, today is elevate. So he get, God gives prophets, but not only that, he gives his son. It's not just a prophet that he has chosen out of all the peoples of the land. It's one whom he has chosen who is his very son. As Hebrews 1, uh, 1 through 2 says, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the one whom God has sent, his son, Jesus is the son whom God has sent to speak the very things that are, uh, that are for us to hear. You and I, we have benefited from Jesus' prophetic ministry. We have. I would say that any time that you sat under the teaching of Jesus, you looked into the Gospels, you looked into the uh, wherever, wherever it is in the scripture that you have and you found hope, wherever you found freedom, wherever you found consolation or comfort, wherever you found correction, you have found the prophetic word of Jesus. You have found the prophetic ministry of Jesus. And what I love is that Jesus also explicitly says um, in John chapter four, or Luke 4, verse 18, 18 through 19, specifically says how you and I will benefit from his prophetic ministry. He said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you've been poor in spirit and have heard the good news, you have benefited from the, the, the ministry of the prophet. If you have been in captivity and you have experienced freedom, you have experienced the ministry of the prophet. If you have been blind, whether spiritually or physically, and you have received recovery of sight, you have experienced or benefited from the ministry of the prophet. If you have been oppressed and you have been set free, you have experienced the freedom uh, that the prophet brings. If you've experienced the grace of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God, the delight of God, you and I have experienced the prophetic ministry of Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you've read the word and you've received the word of revelation, if, you, if the light bulb clicked, it turned on, and you're like, wow, this is great, you have experienced the prophetic ministry of Jesus. What we're saying here when we're talking about the prophet like Moses is that Jesus is the means by which God has chosen to effectively communicate to us, right? He, he has chosen his son to effectively communicate to us what? His words, his life, and his actions. All of who Jesus is, is prophetic. Jesus is a prophet like Moses. He's not just a prophet like Moses, he is also a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now this might be obscure, but what you need to, if you want to read into this a little more, the key passages would be Genesis chapter 14, Psalm 110 verse 4, Hebrews 6, 7, 8, and 9. If you want to understand this entirely, what what the author of Hebrews is doing is making a case for the priesthood of Jesus. We know, as was said already, when we think of priests, we think of Aaron. But nowhere in the prophetic uh, utterances of God is there said to be a priest that comes from Judah. We know that there's a king that's coming from Judah. 
We know that the kings are coming from Judah, but we know we, there's nowhere that talks about a priest coming from Judah. So where do we get this idea from? That Jesus is a priest. The author of Hebrews connects uh, the priesthood of Melchizedek to the priesthood of Jesus. That's how come. Remember I said that God works in and God also works around. Within he has set Aaron. Aaron is the line. The bloodline of Aaron is the line of the priests. But God is working around that. And when he works around that, he's working in promise. There is law and there is promise. Promise overshadows law. If you're going to understand what Jesus did as a priest, it's important to understand the law. It's important to understand the sacrifices, the offerings, the feasts that are put in place. If you're going to understand um, who, uh, what Jesus has accomplished. But if you and I are going to understand how we respond to Jesus, we have to go to promise. We have to go to the promise because the promise come, came before the law. Why do I say that? If you think of Abraham, think of Abraham. It says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did he believe God? He believed God at his word. And he was considered righteous because of his faith. So there we go. We have a righteousness that comes by faith and is not apart from the law and is not because of the law. What I'm saying is that God works within what he has put in place and God works around what he has put in place. And it looks like when, he, um, when we're talking about his priesthood, God is working around what he has put in place. Amen? Does that help you understand a little bit? And so Melchizedek, according to Hebrews chapter 7 verse 3, he, he's a little obscure. It says that this Melchizedek, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, uh, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Before there were any priests, Melchizedek, after Abraham beat all the kings that were oppressing uh, Lot and his family and all the, 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 the imminent danger that was there, Abraham is confronted or meets up with the king, and the king blesses the son or the one who received the promise. Hebrews' argument is, the author of Hebrews argues that the one who blesses is greater than the one who receives the blessing. And so what, what we're seeing here is that the, the work of priesthood, because God is working around what he has set, he elevates it. He elevates the priesthood of Jesus over the priesthood of Aaron. Because Aaron is one is a priesthood of the law. The priesthood of Jesus is a priesthood of promise and of oath that God has appointed and put in place. So when I talked about what are the key passages to understand this, you, you need to see that Psalm 110 verse Four, one and four are important. It says there in Psalm 110, verse one and four, it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my, hand, my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now remember, this is David speaking. David says, the Lord says to my Lord. So David is not putting himself in the place of Lord. It's the Lord speaking to his Lord. 
Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It is known that Psalm 119 is a messianic psalm. It means it speaks of Jesus. It points to Jesus. And the clue is in verse 1 where he says, I'm speaking not of myself. I'm speaking of the Lord who is saying to my Lord. And my Lord is Jesus. And this Jesus, who is a servant of God, is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Think about Jesus' eternality. We see that Jesus has a genealogy, but we see that he is divine, right? He is uh, one who comes. He has always existed, has been from the ancient of days. Jesus doesn't have a beginning, He has always been. In fact, in Revelations 1, what does he declare of himself? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's what he says about himself. So Jesus himself, even though he had a beginning in his earthly body, he he has been eternal. He is equally God, eternally existing as God, the Son. Jesus has always existed. Jesus, like Melchizedek, excuse me, so that's in a sense how Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, but the author of Hebrews goes on and speaks about his priesthood. Let's look at some passages. There won't be up there. I'll just reference them, maybe write them down and take the time. Again, if you want to read into this, read Hebrews 7. 8, 9, to understand the argument that the author of Hebrews is making about Jesus' priesthood. What we see from Psalm 110 verse 4 and Hebrews 7, 20 through 21 is that God deems Jesus a priest. Not from Aaron, it's not a bloodline thing, it's what God has spoken. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We see that his priesthood is elevated and that he is a perfect priest. Hebrews 7.28 alludes to that idea that he doesn't come uh, offering blood of bulls and goats. In fact, he doesn't even have to offer sacrifices for himself. He is the perfect priest. We see in verse 24 of chapter 7 of Hebrews that Jesus holds his priesthood forever because he lives forever. So the priests that come from Aaron, they're by law and they die off so they get replaced. But Jesus is eternal, lives forever, never gets replaced. He is a priest forever. Amen? Aaron Aaron and his line of priests minister in a physical tabernacle that is a representation of the ultimate tabernacle in heaven. Jesus does not minister in that tabernacle. In fact, what does he do? He rips the veil in two. Why? Because he is going to a superior place. That is ministry in the, the, in the heavenly places where God is. His priesthood passes through the earthly and enters into the heavens, which is called in Hebrews 9 verse 11, the perfect tent. That is where Jesus' ministry is, before God in heaven. Jesus is the means also by which we draw near to God. Remember that the priesthood is given to facilitate relationship. 
The priesthood is given to facilitate worship. We are in right relationship with God when we are worshiping properly. And the priesthood offers that, but the earthly priesthood can't ever lead us to that place. Hebrews argues that it can never clear your conscience. It can never forgive you of your sins. The earthly priesthood, the offerings, the sacrifices that are given pay or fall short of full completion. But the offering that God gives through his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus offers is a sacrifice that enters into the heavenly places, brings redemption for all, brings forgiveness of sin, and this is once and for all, for all of eternity, forever. So Jesus' ministry, his priesthood is elevated, amen? His prophetic ministry, elevated. Words from God, not, not even just words from God. He is God speaking. He is the very word of God. Elevated. Jesus' uh, priesthood, elevated. We need that priesthood. I love how Hebrews 9, 24 through 26 summarizes this. It says, for Christ has entered not into holy places, holy places made with hands, that would be the tabernacle or the temple, right, the holy of holies, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus' priesthood is elevated to the point where he himself is the sacrifice. The offering that he brings into the heavenly place is not one of blood of bulls and goats. It's his very own. He is the spotless, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The priesthood of Jesus is acceptable in heaven. It's accepted in heaven. It's effective for your salvation. It's effective for the forgiveness of your sin. And it's good for everyone for everyone who draws near through Jesus Christ. And this forgiveness and this drawing near lasts forever. Aren't you in agreement with me this morning that we need the greater, better, and more effective priesthood of Jesus? Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that Jesus is the priest. I'm so glad that he offered, he is the offering. I'm so glad that what he brings is an eternal redemption for you and for me. So we see that Jesus is a prophet like Moses. We need communication with from God. Jesus provides that. We see that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. We need relationship. We need right worship of God. Jesus provides that for us. And finally, we see that Jesus is a king in the Davidic line. Remember, God is working in it and around it. I love that about God. That means that everything, this is to declare 
to bring forth that everything will culminate in Jesus Christ. All of it, from the beginning to the end. So, why do we say he's, he's of the Davidic line? Well, first of all, what we need to look at is Samuel 7, 16, that speaks of the promise that God made to David. Remember, it's a promise thing. It's a promise thing, not necessarily a law thing, right? We, we know how to respond to God on promise. We understand what God has accomplished through the law. Amen? So, what do we have here? 2 Samuel 7, 16 says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. He says to David, Your throne shall be established forever. When God says something, he's going to follow through with it. He says to David, Your throne, sealed, forever. Someone's going to reign on it forever. It will be established forever. So God says that to to, David. to David in 2 Samuel, and the prophet Isaiah declares this in Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It is promised to David. It is prophesied in the Messiah And it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. One thing you need to know is that the king has a kingdom, and the intention of the kingdom is to fill the whole earth. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every language. I almost didn't have language there for that moment. My tongue got a little tied. Right? The Lord is going to fill the earth with his kingdom. If you have any ideas of what, or any thought of, or question about what that might look like, you should look at Daniel chapter two, verse 44 through 45. In it, remember the, the, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had was that of a, gold, or a statue of, made with uh, several metals, right? The gold head, silver chest, bronze arms and legs, and torso, uh, steel, clay mixed with steel or iron, right? Uh, We see that. And what you see at the end of the vision is that there is a hand that appears that takes a rock. So an ordinary thing takes a little rock, and this little rock shatters all of the kingdoms of the earth. It shatters all of the kingdoms of the earth, makes them into dust, and what happens to this little rock? It becomes a mountain. A mountain that grows and fills the entire earth. This is the scope of the kingdom of Jesus. It is destined to fill the earth. So there's a kingdom and there's also a king. Did you ever notice in Luke chapter 19 verse 38 in Jesus' triumphal entry that his own disciples worshipped him as king? They say... Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They worship Jesus as king. Jesus himself, in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 19, let's read that really quick. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in the heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The king has a kingdom and the scope of the kingdom is destined to fill the earth. The king has authority. He has authority in heaven and where? On earth. The question I ask is how does he use his authority? How does Jesus use his authority? According to Matthew 20 verse 28, he says, Son of man didn't come to be served but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. Jesus uses his authority to serve. How upside down is that? Any other person who is in authority, the authority or the, the structure of authority is like a pyramid where I'm the man up top, everyone else supports me and under me and under me and under me all the way to the peons that come in, right? All the way down. But if you look at Jesus' kingdom, it's an upside down pyramid. As a servant king, he upholds everyone. He serves everyone under him. In fact, serving is upholding. So he uses his authority to serve. As we read in Luke chapter 4, uh, we see that he uses his authority to liberate, to set those who are oppressed free, to set the captive free, to set those in prison free. Jesus uses his authority to liberate. When we see his relationship with his disciples, he uses his authority to empower. He empowers his disciples to do the very things that he does. To proclaim the kingdom, to bring healing, and to bring, uh, bring stability and restoration to those who are demonized. There's a message to preach, and there are things to overcome. A message to preach and demons to cast out. A message to preach and diseases to cure. This is the kind of authority that he gives to his disciples. He empowers them. He empowers them. Ultimately, we see the empowerment come and rest and remain upon the Christians in Acts chapter 1-8 when he says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are, he uses his authority to empower us. Jesus says to his disciples, hey guys, I want you to learn from me, for I'm humble and gentle. That's the kind of leadership our Savior has. It's a humble and gentle leadership. It's fierce. It gets to the point. It accomplishes the will of God, but we can learn from his gentleness and his humility. The, the leadership of Jesus or the, the, the kingship of Jesus provides for us stability it's not necessarily an external stability, yet it is an internal stability where one, once you were at war within, ripped apart within, he brings stability inside of you. 
He brings wholeness inside of you and me by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Not only does he do that, but he writes his laws in our hearts. This is how he brings stability into our lives. The king also brings security in that he deals with our adversary. Jesus said, the prince of this world now stands condemned. He also told his disciples, I've given you authority to trample over the snakes and the scorpions of the enemy. In fact, Paul declares, upon the cross of Jesus, he made a spectacle of our enemy. He taunted him from the cross. He made him impotent. He is not powerful. Our enemy is not powerful. We need the prophetic ministry of Jesus. We need the elevated priesthood of Jesus. And we need the elevated kingship of Jesus. The king is establishing his kingdom. I'm not saying that he's going to. I'm saying that he is. He is establishing his kingdom. We see that it starts in the hearts of humanity. For he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my disciples will be fighting you with the sword. But it's not. It takes root in the heart of people. But know this for certain, that his kingdom is destined to fill the earth. It starts within, in the immaterial place where we do not see, but it is destined to invade the earth. The kingdom of God is going to fill the earth. And when it fills the earth, it dethrones, it topples over demonic principalities and their manifestations in the earth. This is how the kingdom of God advances. We need the kingship of Jesus. Amen? The elevated kingship of Jesus. Know this. Know this for certain. Jesus will have his people. Jesus will have his people. And Jesus will have his land. He will. He will have his people and he will have his land. I hope today you saw the connections between the prophetic ministry of Moses, the priesthood of Melchizedek, the kingship of David, and I hope that you saw it fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is a prophet like Moses. He is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, elevated, better priesthood, greater priesthood. He is a king, better than David has ever been. A king of kings and a Lord of lords. That is our Jesus. That is our Jesus. And we need every aspect of that. We need every aspect. There is no salvation without his prophetic ministry. There's no salvation without his priestly ministry. There's no salvation without his kingship. We need all three, and we're glad that Jesus fulfills that. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you. I love the word elevated. I'm glad you gave that to Glenn. Thank you for elevating priesthood, the prophets, the priesthood, and the kingship. Thank you for elevating those things. Thank you for fulfilling them in Christ. 
Thank you for setting them as a foreshadow of how you will work in and how you will work around. We love you, King of Judah. We love you, King of kings and Lord of lords. We bless you, O God, that this is not the priest, the prophets, and the kings were given to Israel, but you were, were given to the world. You were given to the world. And I pray, Lord, today that the world will see. We thank you for this moment in time where we could occupy the airwaves, oh God, with the truth of who you are. And I just want to boast in you, Jesus. I want to boast in your prophetic ministry. Thank you for speaking to us the words of God. Thank you for speaking to us the words of life. Thank you, O oh Lord, for, for the, your priesthood, for being the one who mediates on our behalf, but also being the one who is the offering himself to do away with our sin, to redeem us, and to allow us to draw near to God and find relationship with God through you. Thank you for your priesthood, Jesus. And thank you, O Lord, for your kingship. Glad, O God, that your kingdom is going to fill the earth. Glad, O Lord, that you use your authority for the good of the people. Glad, O Lord, that you provide stability. Glad, O God, that you provide security. Glad, O Lord, in you, Jesus Christ. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Continue to expand our view of you, God. Continue, O Lord, to embolden your people to believe in you with bold faith because you have done bold things for us. We love you, O God, and we praise your magnificent name, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that you would go in the confidence of the Lord, that God will elevate your faith, that he would increase your confidence in your Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. Thank you for joining us and God bless you. Thank you for listening to True Vine Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.